You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. We're doing a series that uh, we've called Seven Letters. Um, Today we're going to focus on a wake-up call. Uh, A lot of times we'll get wake-up calls in our life. Sometimes the wake-up calls are things we invite. Whether you like it or not, if you're having to get up and go to work or you have an appointment or whatever, you set an alarm clock. And that alarm clock gives you a wake-up call, but it's something that you initiated, that you set, so it's kind of your fault that you're getting it. If you're on a business trip and you know you have to be up at a certain time, you might call the front desk and ask the front desk to give you a wake-up call at a certain time so you'll not miss an appointment that you have. But sometimes we may get wake-up calls that we did not necessarily invite. We might not necessarily have longed to receive it. We might have invited it by our actions, but we didn't just schedule it and say, will you please give me a wake-up call? And yet somebody does that for you. They care enough about you to maybe see some issues, some things that they ought to be concerned about for you, and they kind of set you down or put you on the carpet or whatever the phrase is you might want to use, and they kind of give you a, a rude awakening or a wake-up call. That's what Jesus does with a church in the Asia Minor city called Sardis. He gives them a wake-up call. Sardis at one time had been a really kind of important city. But at the time Jesus dictates this letter to the Apostle John, the city was in decline. A lot of things had happened. The the city was really built in two locations. It was built up on a a high mountaintop with, with sharp, steep cliffs on either side. So it was not like a natural fortress. Matter of fact, it had only been sacked twice by enemies attacking the city. And I'll deal with that more in the message. But because they outgrew the mountaintop, they had to go down into the valley and and build in the valley. And as they built in the valley, they they built a large theater and, you know, things like that. They felt like they had a lot of culture. They, They started building this huge temple to one of the mythological quote, gods of, uh, you know, Greek and and Roman culture called Artemis. But they never, ever finished building that temple. They started it, but they didn't complete it. It was a fairly wealthy city, and, and some historians believe that gold and silver coins were first minted in the city of Sardis. It was also a city that was known for a large necropolis that they had. And I I know that's a word we don't use every day in Caldwell County. So let me tell you what that means. They had a huge, pretty cemetery. 
and had hundreds of, of, of grave mounds, and, and they were kind of renowned for that. Now, guys, I don't know. If I'm looking for a place to live, I don't know that I'm going to look in the small print or, you know, request the real estate agent to say, I want to live in a city that's known for its cemetery. <laughs> because another way of saying that is I want to know, I want to live in a city that's kind of recognized by death. It is more or less what they were saying, and you'll see in the text today as we read it, I think Jesus uses this reality of this city in more than one way, the history of this city in more than one way, to speak to the church there in this place called Sardis. Because what was happening in this city also took place in the church. Because it was a wealthy city, a lot of People were kind of well-to-do, and that kind of led to some moral decadence in their lives. And they, they were going downhill morally. So that's just a little bit of background to, to this city where this church that Jesus is riding to was located. They, they really wanted to be significant. They wanted to be viewed by all the area around them is being an important city. But like I said, they started in, in decline. One thing that happened in AD 17, a huge earthquake happened and destroyed lots of the city. So they were in decline. They put in a request one time. They wanted to build a temple to Caesar, this emperor worship that we've talked about going on in Asia Minor as Jesus writes these letters to these churches in these cities. They put in a request, we want to build, you know, a temple to Caesar. They were turned down. It's kind of like a, you know, like a city requesting to be part of the Olympics. It's like if Granite Falls said, we want to host the Olympics, and the Olympic Committee turned us down, you know. They were turned down. So it, it kind of hurt their feelings a little bit. And because they had been a glory city, just maybe they were living in past glory instead of what their current reality actually was. Look at this wake-up call that Jesus writes to them. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes like them will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. And then this recurring statement at the end of these letters, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus gives a wake-up call to a church. 
What can we learn in this day and time in some practical way that just maybe we need to apply to our lives as individuals? Just maybe today Jesus needs to give you or I one a wake-up call. Just maybe Jesus needs to give Day 3 Church a wake-up call. Just maybe Jesus wants to give the church in general a wake-up call. Maybe he's sending a wake-up call to America, to our nation. So what are some things we can learn from this letter, this wake-up call that Jesus writes to a group of believers in a town called Sardis? Here's the first thing. This wake-up call is from the Holy Spirit through messengers of Christ or the messengers of Christ. It's a wake-up call that comes through the Holy Spirit of God and it's going to be communicated through the messengers that Christ has in these churches. And in particular, here Sardis. Look at verse 1 again. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Did you notice the addressee? In other words, who receives the letter? Who is it sent to? See, the, the addressee that we see here in this passage of Scripture is the pastor of the church of Sardis. That word angel, we've established this as we've looked at all these letters in this series. The word angel literally means messenger or pastor. He's not talking about some mystical being that's floating around flapping wings over these churches. He's writing to the messenger or the pastor that is overseeing each of these seven churches in Asia Minor. Jesus is sending it to this pastor for him to receive the message and for him to take the message and turn around and communicate it as a wake-up call to the people. He's there to be in the hand of Jesus as one of those seven stars, which means we've already seen by looking in, in, earlier in this text that we've been dealing with in Revelation, that those seven stars are the seven pastors. So this pastor in the church of, Star, of Sardis is supposed to be in the hand of Jesus, communicating to the body of Christ there what Jesus tells him to communicate. Now, I want to point out something real quickly that I think, you know, churches as a whole maybe need to grab hold of. And I'm going to qualify it a little bit because I don't want you to go off with some, you know, half-cocked idea about what I'm about to say. But I want you to understand clearly that he sends this message to the pastor of the church. He didn't send it to some clique in the church. He didn't send it to the WMU group or the Baptist men or, you know, some other group. Initially, he sent this message to the pastor of the church. Now, I'm not saying that God never sends messages to anybody else, but I am saying I am afraid in our culture, and guys, sometimes pastors deserve it. I understand that. But in our culture, I'm afraid in the day and time that we live, the role or the image of pastor has been so minimized that it is injured in the church in general in the day in which we live. We need to recognize that this message is addressed to the pastor of this church. Not just the addressee, notice the addressor. Who is it that's writing the letter? See, the one writing the letter, the Bible told us this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. All you got to do is read earlier 
In chapter 1 of Revelation, chapter 2, and we'll understand clearly that the one that is dictating this letter to John, it's not John that writes this letter. He's not the one that's sending the letter. Jesus is the one that sends the letter. Jesus is the one that is addressing this letter, and he gives this image of himself. He's the one that holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars of God. What does Jesus mean by that terminology? What is he saying to us by that terminology? I think one thing maybe Jesus is telling us is this. We need to recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit regarding this wake-up call. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God, who, by the way, is not some mystical, intangible type of thing. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit of God a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's not to be minimized or ignored. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is involved in giving us wake-up calls in our lives. I mean, if you've been a Christian very long, you've had it to happen. You've been reading the Bible, and maybe there's something going on in your life that up to that point you didn't even recognize was wrong. And then you come across it in the Word of God, and now you clearly see what you're doing is wrong. And that's the Holy Spirit giving you a wake-up call. It's the Holy Spirit saying, look, there's some things you need to change in your life. And I think something that, that happens sometimes in the church and with some believers regarding the Holy Spirit is that people always just maybe think of the Holy Spirit in some mystical or intangible type of way. And I'm really afraid there's a lot of people in the church today that have bought into the Holy Spirit only in a partial light. In other words, they view the Holy Spirit as being the one that, that blesses you. I mean, it, you know, the Holy Spirit blesses us. We'll, we'll use terminology like, well, you know, were, were you at, at this church service? And, and did you feel the Holy Spirit in this church service? Or did you get the Holy Spirit in this church service? And to be honest with you, that's the wrong terminology. The terminology ought to be this. Did the Holy Spirit get us? Hey, have we surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God? See, most Bible scholars believe this phrase, the seven spirits of God, is talking about the Holy Spirit. And the word, or the number seven in the Bible is considered the number of perfection or completion. So just maybe Jesus is telling us, you need to have a wake-up call, and you need to get a clear, full picture of the Holy Spirit. Not just a partial idea about what the Holy Spirit does, but a full, complete picture of what the Holy Spirit does. You see, the Holy Spirit, thank God the Holy Spirit can bless us. Amen? I mean, I'm not minimizing that. I, I, I love it when, you know, I just feel, you know, God moving, and you kind of feel it in a service, and you know the Holy Spirit is, is just doing something there. Guys, as believers, the Holy Spirit is always in us, and we don't have to be here to feel the Holy Spirit. We better be feeling His guiding out there as we live our lives. So I love it when he blesses us, but we need to understand something. A full picture of the Holy Spirit is not just some mystical type of thing that happens and gives us chill bumps. Sometimes the ministry of the Holy Spirit involves giving wake-up calls that we might not like. See, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, people love to talk about, oh, the Holy Spirit so blessed me. Thank God for that. That is a reality. But you know what the Holy Spirit will also do? The Holy Spirit will also rock your world with correction. The Holy Spirit will also convict you of sin. 
And that's an aspect of the Holy Spirit people don't necessarily you know, like to talk about. You might go to you know, work after there's been a good service at church on Sunday and, and say, well, oh man, just you know, the Holy Spirit was moving, everything real positive. But we don't tend to go and say, you know, the Holy Spirit was at work. He convicted me of my sin. And yet that's part of His work. Maybe that's what Jesus means by this seven spirits. He's telling us we need to have a full image of the Holy Spirit of God. See, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit's going to do stuff like this. Look what he said in John. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, unless I go away, the counselor referring to the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice what he's going to do. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, thank God, will bless us. But another part of the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and things that we need to change in our lives. We need to understand a wake-up call involves the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. But a wake-up call also involves the pastors of these churches in Revelation. Because Jesus, in this image he gives of himself, he says, I'm the one that holds the seven spirits of God. But he also is saying, I'm the one that holds the seven stars. And we don't have to debate that because the Bible clearly tells us, early in Revelation, that the seven stars represent the seven pastors, the pastors of these seven churches. So, The Holy Spirit of God will also use pastors to give wake-up calls. And sometimes that's not popular. See, a lot of times people just want to come to church, and and the Bible warns us of this in Timothy, that there's coming a day when everyone just wants to have itching ears, and they're heaping to themselves teachers that will only tell them what they want to hear. Here, these pastors of these seven churches are going to be given a message that Jesus sends to them. A lot of these letters that go out to these seven churches have positive things, but guess what? They also have negative things. Things that need to be straightened out. Things that need to be corrected. Sardis, by the way, is not given very much positive at all. So this letter that Jesus sends to the pastor of Sardis is going to be pretty much a big wake-up call message that he's supposed to give to that congregation of people. And sometimes that's not popular. Guys, I'm honestly afraid a lot of churches want this. A lot of churches want a pastor who will baptize their babies, their kids, who will marry their kids, who will visit their sick, who will bury their dead, but don't dare go anywhere near telling them how to live their lives. And yet God gives pastors wake-up calls. You read what the prophets proclaimed and and, and ministers of the New Testament proclaimed and just look at church history and I I dare say we'll find pastors being given wake-up calls to give to people and congregations maybe more so than pats on the back and saying, You're doing good. I'll be honest with you, I wrestle with stuff like that because by my nature, and I have to be self-aware of this, I like to please people. 
But I had to decide a long time ago, it's more important for me to please God than it is to please you. And I have to tell you what I think God is saying. This series we're in right now, it's not necessarily been a fun series. Some of you said you've really enjoyed it and things like that. But guys, I understand these things that Jesus Christ to these seven churches, not necessarily, you know, things that pump you up and just make you want to, you know, get, get out from here and go and just say, thank God for today. But Jesus gives that kind of message. He gives wake-up calls to churches. It involves the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it involves also the ministry of pastors giving these wake-up calls. Second thing I want you to get today is this. This wake-up call that Jesus gives to the church at Sardis also provides some steps to revival. And I love that because, you know what, if, if all we do is slam something and you don't give somebody steps in how to change it, then we've not really helped anybody at all. Amen? I mean, anybody can shout at the darkness. You know, anybody can go up and do a scream about the negative stuff. We also need to understand how to change it. And Jesus does that here for the church at Sardis. He's telling them some negative stuff, but then with it, he's kind of telling them how they can change some things that's taking place in the church there at Sardis. Look at these verses. I know your deeds. By the way, Jesus doesn't qualify that. He doesn't say they're good deeds or bad deeds. I kind of get the sense they weren't completely what they should be because of what else he says here. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then notice what he says here. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So I'm thinking the deeds, when he says I know your deeds, it's not all positive. And then he says, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. The church of Sardis, as I mentioned when we were looking at some of the, the history uh, about the church, there were some issues that were taking place there. It was a city that had been a really big city, but now was on decline. It was a city that was known for starting a temple that they didn't finish. And it was also a city that was known for this huge cemetery that they had. And I think Jesus takes some of that imagery and he's using it to communicate to the church that's located in this city. He says, I know your deeds. He said, I know you've got the reputation of being alive. In other words, this city in Sardis may be looked good on the outside. They might have had a reputation in the community of having a full parking lot and a lot going on. But Jesus says, even though you have this reputation of being alive, he says, in reality, you're dead. I looked up what the word dead means in the Greek, and it literally means a corpse, and that's pretty dead. <laughs> a corpse. He says, you've got this reputation, but you are dead. A lot of the churches that we've looked at in this study had persecution issues or doctrinal issues. And Jesus doesn't necessarily tell us this church is being persecuted. And he doesn't tell us that this church has a lot of doctrinal issues taking place. They might have appeared to have things going on fairly well on the outside. But Jesus looks beyond the exterior and Jesus says, actually, you're dead. 
What do you mean by that? Well, there's a couple of interpretations. One is this, that Jesus is saying, part of you are alive, but because he does brag on some in just a moment. But he says, some of you think you're really authentic, but you're not really authentic. Some of you have taken the name of Christ, and you claim to be Christian, and your name might be on the roll at the church, but your name's not on the roll of heaven. You, you don't really belong to me. You've not really, really trusted in me. Your life's not really been changed. So that's one interpretation that might be taking place here. Jesus is saying they are really spiritually dead. They're not authentic believers. Another interpretation is this. Since he's writing to a church, is that they are really authentic believers, but that they have grown so cold and indifferent in what they're doing, no matter what the reputation might be that the church has. In reality, they've grown comfortable with their society. They are starting to compromise with their society, and they are so inactive that they look like someone that's dead. So there's those two possibilities that's taking place here. Jesus says to them, I know your deeds. He doesn't say whether they're good or they're bad, but he does say this. I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. We ran across this word several uh, months ago in another series that we're doing. The word for complete in the Greek means this. It means to level up a hollow spot. Uh, You know, all those holes you're hitting on the road anymore because, you know, our state doesn't have money to fix them. You wish someone would go out and finish the work and, and fill up the hole so you'd quit knocking your front end out of line and busting tires. That's kind of the idea. It means to cram a net full. In other words, you, you've got a net, you're putting fish in, and, and there's more fish to go in it, and you're not finished until you finish cramming the net completely full. That's also how that word was used. It means to furnish what is needed to satisfy or execute an office, to finish a task. But now remember, Jesus is communicating this to these believers at Sardis, to this church at Sardis, and he's saying, you have failed to do these things. You have failed to fill up the hole in the ministry there. You have failed to cram the net full, to keep on doing what you need to be doing for me until the net is filled up. He says you have failed to satisfy or to furnish what is needed. You have failed to finish the task. And just maybe that's illustrated by what Jesus knows about the history because Jesus knows everything. And Jesus understood full well the history of the city of Sardis was this. They had started building a temple to their false god Artemis and they never finished building the temple. So Jesus looks at what the city did starting a temple, a place of worship. I mean, that would be the equivalent today, guys, for us to decide we're going to go out and build a building and then we get the walls and the foundation up and we'll run out of money or we get us interested and we just quit and we just leave it standing in ruins. That's the image of what's happening there. Yeah, they were doing it for a false god, but they failed to finish the work and the temple lay in ruins. Jesus is looking at the church and he's saying, just like the city that you live in did not finish building that temple, guess what? You have not finished the work that God's calling you to do. You've not crammed the net full. You've not leveled up the hollow place. You're not taking care of everything that you need to be doing. Jesus said this, you've got a reputation. You've got a reputation. 
Do you realize a reputation can be a facade? An individual can manufacture a reputation. A church can even manufacture an image or reputation. There's a movie on last night. I just caught a few parts of it. didn't really have time to watch it or anything. But the movie was about a guy back in the 60s who went around and, and just flim-flammed everybody. And he even you know, made up his own certificate to look like a doctor. And he was hired at a hospital. And he went around writing a bunch of you know, bad checks and, and bad debts and everything like that. And he was this huge you know, white-collar criminal. And he just had this facade. He was said, and he would watch on television how the doctors would do things on television and just to where he could learn the lingo. And, where, and they put him in a place of authority in a hospital. He had no idea what he was doing. You, you, can, you can put on a facade and it not really be true. It's not just about the reputation. Some of you have Facebook accounts. I need to tell you something. Because some of you are going to go on Jared's Facebook account or Bethany's Facebook account, and there's a picture of them standing there, and, and, and they've got a, a sleeve tattoo that goes all the way down to here. And uh, Jared and Bethany both standing there with it. I don't know if you noticed today when Jared's playing guitar, he didn't have it today, okay? <laughs> they, they got some of these sleeves that they found somewhere on sale for like a dollar, and you can stretch it over like hose on your arm, and it's got... You know, bright colors all the way down, things like that. And the one Jared had on had a big skull face and everything like that. They put it on just for fun, fooling around with some of their friends. A lady in our church, an elderly lady in our church, doesn't get to come a lot because she's in a wheelchair and things like that. She stays on Facebook a whole lot, and she saw it, and she clicked on it, and she liked it. Uh, <laughs> the problem is it's a facade, it's not real. They didn't really have a sleeve tattoo all up and down their arms. It just looked like they did. And guys, here's the thing with that. The reason I tell that story, the church of Sardis might have looked like they were doing everything they need to do for Jesus, but Jesus said you've got a reputation of being alive. But the reality is when you strip the facade back is that you're dead. Either really spiritually dead, people there that did not authentically know Christ, or people that knew Christ and they're just acting like they're dead, and they're failing to serve Jesus and do all that they should have been doing for Jesus. It is not about just a reputation. It's about a reality. It's about what is real in the moment. So I told you the city of Sardis was living on past glory because they used to be this really great city before the earthquake hit and things like that. And now they kind of still have this image of themselves being great. I'm afraid a lot of churches do that, guys. I'm afraid a lot of churches are still living in the glory of the 50s when maybe they baptized 100 or 200 that year. But now they're not doing anything. I mean, God forbid that we would ever grow comfortable as a church and live, say, in the glory of the first eight years, and we think, well, God really did a lot then. You know, all that's fine. That's just the reputation part. What's the current reality now? That's what Jesus is saying to this church. You might have a reputation, but he's saying, what is really taking place what is honestly taking place? The reputation is that you're alive. But Jesus says the reality is that you're dead. 
There's some problems there. And it's also about revival. Because of their reputation being lacking. And they are not cramming the net full, leveling up the hollow spots in ministry. They're not doing all that they need to do. Irregardless of their reputation, Jesus said, because there's an issue there, I'm going to tell you some things that can help bring about change. I'm going to tell you some things that can help bring about revival or restoration in the church at Sardis. And the same things that Jesus tells this church in Sardis I honestly believe you can apply to your life as an individual. I can apply to my life as an individual. We can apply to the life of this church, or any church can apply these things to the life of that church, and it will start them on the pathway toward spiritual restoration or toward revival, toward renewal in that body of believers. Five steps that Jesus gives them. Step number one is wake up. Wake up. Word literally means to keep awake or to be watchful. Wake up. You understand before you can start to change things, before the church in Sardis could start moving from reputation to reality, they had to recognize that there were some problems. Until you recognize that you're dead, how do you start making steps toward life? Until an individual recognizes I have slipped and fallen from where I need to be. I need revival in my life. I I, I need to get back on fire for Jesus. Before a church can start making steps in that direction, first of all, they have to wake up to the reality that there's deadness there. They have to wake up and understand that there's a need. You see, until you understand you've got the need of revival, you're not going to seek revival. Until you understand that you have the need to wake up, you're not going to wake up. That's why Jesus tells them they need to wake up. I told you earlier the city of Sardis had been sacked twice by invading armies. Only two times in the history of the city that the city was invaded. Because they had this fortress up on top of a mountain and cliffs around it. And it was very difficult to go up and attack the city. The two occasions that the city was actually sacked, here's what happened. The watchmen on the walls of the fortress got kind of comfortable and complacent. After all, we're on this huge mountain. After all, we have this fortress up here. We've never been attacked by an enemy that won before. No one's ever been able to invade our city and defeat us because of our position, because we're up on top of this mountain. So the watchmen of that city fell asleep and quit being watchful. And while they were being comfortable with their current lot in life, being on top of the mountain and being in this fortress, the enemy sent men to scale the cliffs and to go up and sneak into the city and to open the door for the invading army, and the city was sacked. Happened twice to the city. That's why Jesus is telling the church to wake up in Sardis, because Jesus is using that as an analogy. Jesus is saying, just like the city of Sardis has been sacked twice, guess what? The church is being sacked. An enemy is climbing up and scaling the walls and attacking the church because you've fallen asleep and you're not being watchful. 
Guys, whenever we get in a comfortable state and we think we've arrived and we think God's put us on this mountaintop and we've got this fortress that we can just depend upon and we start allowing our spiritual lives to slip and we fail to start keeping up our devotionals, our prayer time, our Bible reading, our service to Jesus, we start thinking it's okay if I go to church about once a month or whatever the case is, but we start to slip because we're in this comfortable place and we're failing to watch That's when the enemy scales the wall. That's when the enemy attacks us. And that's what happened to the city of Sardis. And that's why Jesus tells them they need to wake up. We want revival. We're going to have to wake up that we need revival. If you've allowed your life personally to slip and you're not exactly where you think you ought to be or where you know you have been with Christ at some time in your life... You need to wake up to that reality. We need to wake up. That's the first step toward revival. Just wake up and understand you need it. Secondly, we need to do this. We need to build up. need to build up. Jesus has strengthened what remains and is about to die. The word strengthen means to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. He's telling these believers in this church in Sardis that there's some things there that are still alive, that there's still some hope, but what they need to do is strengthen what remains before it dies also. That they needed to be building up the body in that place. They needed to be actively building up that church. They needed to be building each other, helping each other to be better disciples. They need to be strengthening each other. And you know what our tendency is sometimes? Instead of building up when things get bad, we just kind of get discouraged and we just let it get worse. So, some of you have been there, especially some of you housewives, you, you've been there. You've been through a month or so and you've really, really tried to keep the kitchen clean or something like that and the kids and you know the husband or whoever else, people coming by, just keep trashing it for you. And then you get to the point, maybe you think, well, what's the use? I've tried to keep it clean. It gets right back dirty. I might as well just leave it like that. You ever been there, ladies? And that's the way we can get about church sometimes. And maybe some of these believers who were faithful as artists were getting like that. And they thought, man, there's so much junk. We're in so much decline. We might as well just give up. Jesus says, don't do that. He's saying, instead, you need to build up. If you want the church at Sardis to be revived, if you want to be all that you need to be, if we want the church at day three to be revived and be all that we need to be, then we need to build up. We need to strengthen. But the tendency is this. Well, you know, the church at Sardis, it, it's just gone in decline. I, I don't know. I think I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else. There, there's six other churches here in Asia Minor. I think I'm just going to move there and go to one of those churches. I don't know if you recognize this or not, but most of these other churches have some issues too. Do you notice that? These other churches in Asia Minor? And when we start getting discouraged, you know, when we are in a place that God has positioned us, and that's the question number one, you need to be where God wants you to be and placed you in a church. And then if you think it gets in a client instead of just walking away from it, because guess what? The church you walk away to is going to have issues also. It just takes you a little while to figure it out, you know? You, you'll have the same problems with different faces on it, you know, a lot of times at, at you know, places. These believers at Sardis could say, well, I think I'm going over to Ephesus. 
I've heard they're really, really busy over there. Yeah, but they were low on love. You know? I, I think I'll go over to this church. I think, I think I'm going to leave here and go over to Smyrna. Yeah, they, they were being killed for their faith over there, you know. Instead of just walking away. Stay put where God's put you until God moves you and build up and strengthen what's taking place. If you're going to have revival in your life, you need to be doing something actively to build your spiritual life by reading the Bible, by praying, by serving Him. If a church is going to be revived, we need to actively be building up And by the way, here's the thing that goes with that too. If we're busy building up people and helping build the ministry of the church, we don't have time to sit around and worry about whether it's in decline or not. Because we're actively doing what God's called us to do. Step number four, or or step number three rather is this. Bible up, Bible up. By that I simply mean you need to get into the Word and you need to start applying the Word to your lives. Jesus told them, remember therefore. He, he's calling this body of believers, this church in Sardis, to remember. He said, remember therefore what you have received and heard. He's talking about what you received and heard from this. He's talking about His words, what He has communicated through His prophets, through His apostles. He said, remember how you've been discipled. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've received. Remember what you've heard. And you need to Bible up. You need to take these words, Bible up, here's the image of it. Take these words, lift it up, and stick it in here and use it in your life. Not head knowledge, but take the Word of God and actually apply it to your life. If Sardis wanted to change, it was not going to take place by them ignoring what the Word of God had to say. If you want revival in your life, and if we want revival at Day 3 Church, it will not happen if we think we can do it in the flesh and just ignore what the Bible has to say. We will not, and you will not experience revival by ignoring the Bible. Guys, that's our guidebook. The best wisdom you can have, the best wisdom I can have, falls short. It's screwed up. It's flawed. That Bible is perfect because it's God's Word. And that's why we need to take it and read it and apply it to our lives. And if you want revival in your life, you need to take this Word of God and apply it. Number four, you need to obey up. Jesus told him this. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. And then he said something radical. Obey it. How dare Jesus tell us that, huh? Obey it. How simple is that? We'll go through seminars and and church growth conferences, and they have them all the time all across the nation, and and we'll make it so complex, and people come up with these systems about how to grow a church or how to improve your life spiritually and, and things like that. I went to one a couple of years ago, uh, down at New Spring. And New Spring had been through a whole lot of stuff before. And then New Spring did a conference when we were down there. And the whole theme that they started then until now was simply this. Hear what God says and do it. Pretty simple, isn't it? And somebody, oh, that's too simple. That's, that's, that's just, you know, too babyish. That's too simple. No, hear what God says and do it. Can I, can I tell you something? That works. <laughs> That's what works. 
We can come up with three-year plans and five-year plans or whatever else under the sun about where God wants to take our church. But if we're not willing to listen to God and do it, it doesn't matter what kind of plan or system we come up with. We just need to listen to God in the now, in the moment, and obey God now. Oh, if God would give us a new place, new building, you know, thousand-seat sanctuary and stuff, oh, then we'll really get to serving God. Hey, you think he's going to do that if you're not serving him now? We have to obey God now. It might sound oversimplified, because that's what Jesus tells them to do. He said, remember what you have been taught and obey it. Do it. Remember what the Word of God says and obey it. The word means this, to guard from loss or injury, to keep the eye upon, to prevent from escaping. I need to guard from loss or injury the Word of God that I receive into my life. I need to keep my eye upon the Word of God. I need to prevent it from escaping in my life because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to rob from me the Word of God that has been invested into my life. And instead, I need to keep my eye on it. I need to read it and reread it and reread it and reread it again and keep applying it to my life and keep it real and fresh in my life. I need to obey what the Bible has to say. The word word implies this, and implies a fortress or full military lines. Do you know what happens in the army? Do you know what happens in a fortress or military lines? Somebody tells the soldiers what to do, and they obey. They do it. And that's what God calls us to. Listen, we are not saved by obeying the Word of God. We are not saved by works. We are saved, thank God, because Jesus died on the cross for us, shed His blood, and when we believe in Him, when we receive Him as our Savior, He births us into His family, and we become His children. We are saved completely and totally by grace, but on the other side of grace, belonging to Him now, and He's our head, and we're part of His body, we are to obey Him. My head tells my hand to move these fingers, and my fingers move. Jesus, as the head of the church, communicate to the church what he desires, and the body of the church ought to move. How in the world do we think we could ever experience revival or restoration by failing to obey what God says? Why would he want to revive us if we are saying no to what his will is? If we're saying no to what God wants in our lives, why in the world would he want to give us revival? As I said that, I look up and see the baptismal pool. I do not have anyone to baptize this morning. Uh, Brad has, I think, two or three in the youth to baptize tonight at their worship service. But why I don't have anybody scheduled, maybe God has somebody scheduled. You see, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you've never been baptized, you're being disobedient. How do you expect God to bless your life as a Christian if you're not willing to take the first step of obedience and obey up? Listen to Him and obey Him. Guys, what we need to do is listen to what God says and do it. We also need to repent up. We need to repent up. Because the very last thing Jesus said in this part of these verses is repent. The word in the Greek is the same word we get our English word metamorphosis from. It means to think differently afterwards. In other words, you hear what God says is true and you think differently about your actions. And that more or less means that, that you are 
reconsidering or you're having a change of mind. You thought you're okay. Now you realize you're not okay because God says you're not okay. See, initial repentance happens when God tells us we're sinners and our only hope is to receive Jesus as our Savior and we agree with God that we're sinners and by faith we turn to Jesus. But on the other side of having done that and being part of His church, when He points out to us there's deadness in our midst, there's things that we need to change, there's things that need to be, be done differently in our churches, we need to be willing to change our mind and to repent and agree with God and turn and go in the direction God wants us to. That's a picture of repentance. And He looks at this group of believers and Jesus tells them to repent. How do we think that we will experience personal revival or the church can experience spiritual revival across the body of believers if we refuse to agree with God about what He says about us? If we refuse to repent and agree that God is saying there are things wrong that you need to change, how do we think we'll experience revival? Jesus, as he writes to the church of Sardis, he tells them that the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of these pastors are involved in a wake-up call, giving a wake-up call. Jesus tells the church of Sardis that there are some steps to revival that they can take because they need a wake-up call, because there are problems, because the church was dead, like this city was known for this huge cemetery. The church was starting to become known for its deadness. And Jesus said what will change that is if you will wake up and you'll start to strengthen that which remains. You'll start to build up. You'll start to read the Word of God and apply it. Remember what I have said. Obey it and repent. Jesus says that can bring about change, generate change in the life of this church at Sardis. I believe it will still work today for our lives. This wake-up call also gives a warning. It also gives a warning. Jesus tells them in this warning. Next slide, please. Well, let me stop here. No, back up. I'm about to get ahead of myself, and that's worth us looking at. Have you heard of Dr. Vance Habner before? Anyone ever heard of Vance Habner? He's, uh, you know, just had a lot of good quotes. Uh, really one of the most quoted pastors in America for years. Here's what he says that we need to apply to this, and then I'll get your last two points, and we'll be done. He says spiritual ministry. He's talking about churches and others. Spiritual ministries often go through four stages. It might start out with a man, God giving a vision to a man. Then it becomes a movement because it spreads from that man to other people and all of a sudden there's this movement taking place. And then it becomes a machine. And a machine's almost something that kind of just goes through the motions. Instead of it being a movement and energized by desire and passion. See, a machine doesn't necessarily have passion. You just turn it on and it goes. And a lot of churches are like that. They're just a machine. The last stage, and this is where the church of Sardis was, is a monument. A monument. The city was known for a lot of monuments. And Jesus is saying, this church, while it might have had some glory days, this church is now just like a monument. Look at the warning that Jesus gives. 
This wake-up call also comes with a warning. Jesus said, if you don't wake up, in other words, if you don't do what I'm telling you, if you don't wake up and strengthen and, and, and bring the Bible to your heart that you remember that you've been taught, if you don't obey and repent, he said, if you don't wake up and do those things, here's what's going to happen. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, instantly, some people, because of how that is used in other parts of the Bible, jump to thinking this is about the second coming. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that he is coming back in the second coming of this passage of Scripture. Jesus is just looking at this church in Sardis, and he said, hey, if you don't wake up, if you don't change, I'm going to come like a thief, and when I come like a thief, I'm going to take some things from you. He threatened to go to the church at Ephesus and remove their lamp. See, most of the time when a thief comes, a thief doesn't come to bless you, does he? If you go home tonight in the middle of the night at 2 in the morning, someone breaks into your home and you have a burglar who's wearing a mask and carrying a gun, are you instantly going to think, my God, what a blessing? Or are you going to realize you're in a serious set of affairs? That's what Jesus is saying here to the church at Sardis. Either change or I'm coming like a thief and you won't know when I'm coming. He's giving them a warning. Either change, repent, do what I'm telling you to do, or I am going to come all of a sudden and straighten you out and bring some punishment with me when I come. This wake-up call also involves a promise. A promise. Look at these verses. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father in his angels. See, a lot of this here was negative stuff, but thank God Jesus gives a promise. After he gives them a warning, after he tells them, look, I'm sending a wake-up call. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead. He says that to a church, but he closes out with this promise. First of all, he kind of sets a standard as he gives this promise to them. Because he sets a standard of a worthy walk, what a worthy walk needs to be. When he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. When Jesus says they're worthy, he's not saying you're worthy of salvation. He's saying because you're saved, you're worthy to walk with me. Because you have been saved, I will let you walk with me in white. Look at the promise that's given there, the standard. Jesus said there's some there who have not soiled their clothes. He's also using an image from their pagan culture that they lived in because most of the pagan temples had a rule. When you came to worship at the pagan, at the pagan temple, you did not come with dirty clothes on. Didn't have to wear a suit. <laughs> but you didn't come with nasty clothes. But Jesus is using that for an image. He's not talking about the clothes on the outside. He's looking at these believers in Sardis, and he's saying there's a few there that have not soiled their life. There's a few there that have kept their lives clean from the culture that are around them. And they are going to walk with me in white because they're worthy. So he sets a standard. 
And by setting this standard, that means we ought to follow the standard. We ought to have the desires of believers to keep our lives unsoiled, to keep our lives the best that we can away from the sinful things of this world that we know are against God's will. That ought to be our goal, the standard that we have. And here's the motive. Here's why. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. And I will never blot his name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He's given us a motive of why we ought to want to keep our lives clean. He uses some really important words, overcomes. When we overcome the temptation to give in to our culture, when we overcome the temptation to be like the rest of the people in the environment that we're living in in this world, when we overcome that temptation, he says, those that overcome, he, he said, you're, you're, the, you're authentic with me. He said, you're going to be like these others. You're going to walk with me dressed in white because you kept your lives clean. Not in order that you might be saved, but because you're saved. He said, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. That causes a lot of people some difficulty. Because some people read that and they start thinking, well, does that mean you can be saved and then lost, saved and then lost, saved and then lost? If that is what Jesus means there, then that stands in direct opposition to what the majority of the rest of the Bible has to say. Amen? You need to realize that as you study the Word of God. If you come across something and you think, well, this is some new revelation that goes against what the rest of the Bible has to say, guess what? You're looking at it the wrong way. God is not going to contradict Himself. The way most theologians approach that is this. They believe that every person's name is written down in God's book of life. And it's when you die lost without Jesus as your Savior that He removes your name. But he's saying, if you're authentic, if you really belong to me, he said, I will never blot out your name from the book of life. But look what he says. I will acknowledge his name before the Father and his angels. Man, what a promise. He writes to the church of Sardis, a church that had a reputation of being alive, but Jesus said, you're dead? But he gives them this great promise here at the end of this passage of Scripture. And he says, I will acknowledge your name before my Father and his angels. That means one day, guys, Jesus, when we go and we're standing there before God, Jesus is going to look to the Father and say, Father, this one's with me. This one trusted in the blood that I shed on the cross. Father, look, their name's in the book. They belong to me. And that ought to be a motive for us, guys, where we desire to live clean lives. We desire to have a reality of being alive. Not just a reputation, a reality of being alive. Jesus sends a wake-up call to a church. It's a wake-up call that is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and these pastors that are proclaiming these messages to these churches. It's a wake-up call that provides us steps of revival. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you're messed up, stay there. He looks at the church of Sardis and he says, you've got a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Here's how to change that. And we need to do those things. We need to wake up. We need to build up. We need to Bible up. We need to obey up. We need to repent up because those things will bring us into the reality of life instead of just having a reputation of it. Jesus gives a warning 
in this wake-up call, he said, you better fix it, or I'm going to come, and I'm going to straighten you out like a thief, and you don't know when I'm coming. And then he ends with this wonderful promise in this wake-up call, that one day, because of what he did for us on the cross, one day, thank God, he will confess our name before God the Father. But that's only if you have confessed Jesus now in this life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray right now for us as individuals and Father, also as a church. God, I pray that you'll not allow us to feel comfortable and hold on to reputations. God, as individuals or as a church body, God, I pray that we'll not just put on a facade or, or an image or manufacture some type of reputation. But that we will be real before you. Father, I pray if we identify deadness in our own lives, if we identify deadness within our church, that you will call us to revival, that God, that you'll wake us up and that you will empower us to strengthen what remains before it dies. You'll empower us to remember what we've been taught. You'll empower us to obey what you tell us. God, that you'll motivate us to repent and be honest before you. God, don't let us live in the in the comfortability of the moment. Don't let us feel like we're in a fortress on top of a mountain and grow complacent while the enemy scales the wall. Father, help us to keep our lives clean for you. Knowing that you have called us one day to walk with you in your righteousness, in your white. And that one day you'll confess our names before your Father in heaven. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know Christ as Savior, if they are to die right now, Jesus, if you could not confess their name before the Father because they failed to trust in you, Father, I pray right now in this moment that you'd speak to their heart and you'd draw them to yourself and give them the faith that they need to say yes to you. Father, for those of us that know you, speak to us clearly. Give us wake-up calls if we need wake-up calls this morning. God, disturb us and make us uncomfortable in this moment that we'll answer your wake-up call and we'll take steps toward being what you want us to be. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You might say the main, the main message in this, uh, in this text that we've looked at today is this. He's warning that we as a church, no matter what kind of church we are, no matter how successful of a church we might feel like we are, he's warning us that we can't afford to ever grow comfortable. We can't grow comfortable just to where we are and stay there because that will allow deadness to creep in. We can't live in past glory. 
It's not about our reputation. It's about His glory. It's about us living out His reality in our lives in this moment and tomorrow, not just living in the past. It's a band place where God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come and pray. If you need to speak uh, with me or others, we'll have some others available that can help you. But if God speaks to you, to come. Maybe you need to come and say, God, revive me. Help me to take those five steps. Whatever God says to your heart. Maybe God is saying you need to be baptized this morning before you leave. As God speaks to your heart, just listen to Him and obey. Sounds simple? It works. Listen to Him and obey. Be stand. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.